Welcome everybody to this very special episode and I call this a special episode and almost ad hoc because this is not one of those episodes that I planned to do uh, when I was planning my podcast. Unless you were living under a rock or like most of us busy with dealing with pandemic issues, you would be aware of GameStop stock phenomenon right now. If you are busy with the COVID pandemic work and planning, you may not be aware of this phenomenon going right now where GameStop is going wild in the market. And it's going so wild in the market that I've decided to dedicate an episode to it. Not necessarily to talk about GameStop, but to talk about what is going on about and in the market. So all of you are asking, well, why are we talking about GameStop? What is GameStop? GameStop is a brick and mortar video game company. So GameStop is a company that has been not doing well during the pandemic. And you can understand people are not going to the GameStop stores anymore because it's a brick and mortar and people are playing games online. So for those of you who remember uh, blockbusters, this is the gaming equivalent. Now, with the pandemic, business has been really bad. And also over the years, with the advancement in technology, very few people buy games anymore. They buy them on the uh, digital platform. And so you can understand that over the years, business for GameStop have seen a steady decline. And this is where the story really actually begins. There is a hedge fund company in the market that is predicting that GameStop will eventually go bankrupt. And so what they've been doing is they've been shorting the stock, meaning they've been selling the stock when it's at a high with the hope that it will eventually decline and uh, lose its value and then buy it back at a lower price. All they're doing is buying low, selling high, but doing in the reverse fashion. That is what we call a short. So this hedge fund company have been shorting GameStop. What is going on is that on a subgroup of Reddit, a few retail investors, and retail investors are investors like you and I, small potatoes. We're not institutional investors. We are retail investors. So these retail investors have decided to squeeze this short. So the price of the stock of GameStop will go up. Therefore, these hedge fund companies will have to buy them back at a higher price and make a loss instead of making a profit. So as you can see, what this really is, is a group of retail investors in a, on a subgroup of Reddit sticking it to the man. And really, they are trying to stick it to this hedge fund company. And so it's a story of David versus Goliath. David being these retail investors and Goliath being this hedge fund company. And so what has been happening in the past few weeks? GameStop, at this same time last year, was trading at about $4. Over the course of the year, the price moved to about $20. And then January 13 and 14 this year, this is when the whole phenomenon started. And the price doubled to $40. Two days later, it doubled again. And on each of the following two days, the stock doubled again. 
bringing the price to about $350. So you can imagine it went from at the beginning of January 2021 at around $20 to now at the end of January 2021, so within a few weeks, to $350, a 1,700% price increase over the last two weeks. The rise was absolutely insane and mind-boggling, very far outside of a normal stock volatility. Companies of the size of GameStop does not go up by about 17 times on a regular basis. If you think about it in comparison, just, just to give you some context, Moderna stock went up from $20 to $70 when COVID hit, and then roughly doubled when they announced the COVID vaccine, which adds up to about six to eight times increase, not a 17 time increase. As people see the price of GameStop going up in this insane fashion, for some people, it feels like an opportunity to get rich. Some of your buddies may have called you up and say, hey, look at this GameStop thing. And now you're tempted and you're tempted to go in because people are making so much money. So it's this FOMO that is catching up to you, the fear of missing out. Why shouldn't I? I should get in right now and make that same amount of money. People who are able to get in on GameStop squeeze early and got out in time to make money have been posting stories about what they're doing and with the amount of money that they made. But watch out, the real losers are those who get in late on the game. So the real losers are really the followers. If you get into the game now, you are a follower and you will be a loser. At some point, this stock will crash and it may be very, very hard to sell simply because there will be no buyers on the other side. Imagine that the stock was worth only $20 and now being sold at $350. When it drops back down, nobody would want to buy it above the price of 20 So even if you decide to get out at a later price, you may have nowhere to sell. Like 65 is the new 18 and orange is the new black. GameStop is the new tulip. Why am I saying this? Well, to understand this, we have to go back in history. I have to bring you back to the Dutch tulip bulb market bubble, also known as tulip mania. Tulip mania was one of the most famous market bubbles and crashes of all time. It occurred in Holland during the early to mid 1600s when speculation drove the value of tulip bulbs to extremes. At the height of the market, the rarest tulip bulb traded for as much as six times the average person's annual salary. Well, the story starts in Turkey. The introduction of the tulip to Europe is often attributed to Ogier de Bouchek, the ambassador of Ferdinand I, who sent the first bulbs and seeds to Vienna in 1554 from the Ottoman Empire. Tulip bulbs, along with other plants like potatoes, peppers, and tomatoes, and other vegetables came to Europe in the 16th century. The tulips were very different from other flowers known to Europe at the time because of its intense petal colors. The appearance 
of a tulip was a status symbol. Amsterdam merchants were at the center of a very lucrative East Indies trade, where in one voyage they could yield profits of about 400%. So as a result, tulips rapidly became a coveted luxury item. As the flowers grew in popularity, professional growers paid higher and higher prices for bulbs with the virus, and prices rose steadily. By 1634, as a result of demand from the French, speculators began to enter the market. Contract price of rare bulbs continued to rise throughout 1636. And by November, the price of a common unbroken bulb also began to increase, so that soon any tulip bulb could fetch hundreds of guilders. By 1636, the tulip bulb became the fourth leading export product of the Netherlands after gin, herrings, and cheese. The price of tulips skyrocketed because of speculation in tulip futures. Many men and women made and lost fortunes overnight. The tulip mania reached its peak during the winter of 1636-1637, with some bulb contracts were reportedly changing hand 10 times a day, but there were no deliveries were made to fulfill any of these contracts. Because in February of 1637, the tulip bulb contract prices collapsed abruptly and the trade of the tulips ground to a halt due to the beginning of the bubonic plague. So you see, the story of tulip mania and the story of GameStop are very similar. They come from different origins, but the trajectory is the same. An absolute increase, insane increase in prices, but not based on solid company fundamentals. In the case of tulip mania, it was due to the fact of a status symbol and greed. And in the case of GameStop, it is a fight between David versus Goliath, the retail investor versus the hedge fund. So it's really a battle between two groups. And investors like you and I, who are just following the trend, may get hurt in between. And so if you were one of these people who got in late, you got in in between a fight. If you did get in like everybody else, you should get out while the market is still hot, not when the market is going on the way down. If you are doing that and waiting for the market to go down before you get out, you can get really, really hurt. I have requested my good friend Bob to come and chat with us today exactly about what's going on right now with GameStop and what's going on with the market. Because the market, even without GameStop, is going nuts. You can imagine with the pandemic, people are dying left, center, and right, and yet the market is still going up. That does not make sense whatsoever. And so we're going to have that discussion with my good friend, Bob. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Today, uh, we are at the end of January 2021. We're right in the thick of the second wave of COVID. Um, but we're not talking about COVID today. Today, we're talking about finance. 
And I have a very good friend with me, Bob, who's going to be talking about one particular aspect of what we are living through right now. And this is about the stock market and the market and the craziness that's going on. Uh, if you haven't noticed what's going on, we'll, we'll, tell, we'll talk a little bit about it because the market is going really nuts right now and we'll address that. So let me introduce Bob. Hi, hi Vu. How you doing? I'm good, Bob. Um, thank you for joining the show, and I am really looking forward to this dialogue and pick your brain a little bit, because there's something that you guys don't know, but Bob is also uh, an economics guy. Is that right, Bob? I guess I st- in my, my bachelor's degree was in economics, and I focused on, on finance uh, back in the day, so I do have some background. Uh, and have been following things since then. By no means am I an expert. I've never worked in, uh, in mergers and acquisitions or corporate finance, but I do have an understanding. Well, you got uh, much more understanding than I have for sure. Uh, and maybe hopefully uh, we can pick your brain. You and I don't know each other because of your economics major. How do we know each other, Bob? So yeah, like like you, Vu, I'm I'm an emerge physician uh, in Toronto, and uh, and uh, that's how we know each other. We've been doing both been doing that for a while, uh, and that's that's what that's my day job, and that's that's what I do, and that's what I enjoy. Perfect. So you and I are both physicians. Both you and I work really hard in the emerge, and both you and I have some, you know, uh, liking to finance and economics. And so that's why I think I would love to pick your brain today. So we're here talking about the stock market, uh, what's been going on, I would say, uh, even since March 2020. So ever since the beginning of the first wave, where we in March saw a rapid decline uh, loss in the market of roughly 35%, and then a extremely rapid, unprecedented recovery of the market within almost four to five months, which is almost unprecedented because all the other recoveries have taken more than a year to do. Whereas this time around, it only took a few months and we're now surpassing what we were at in February and January, 2020. So this is really crazy. Uh, This is really a market that is really hot. So tell us, uh, how you understanding understanding this and why this is happening? Yeah, I mean it's a complicated subject, but there's a lot of factors at play here. Um, yeah, this was an unprecedented, you know, rapid collapse. But since then, and and normally the market would have gone down further and st- and stayed down for quite some time because you have the economy that's not fully recovered. Certainly, medium and small businesses are suffering and going bankrupt. But to mitigate that. Uh, governments and central banks have really infused a tremendous amount of capital, giving you know business owners money, uh, people that have lost their jobs money, uh, people that pay uh, wages to to uh, to their employees money, uh, people that pay rents for their businesses money. There's been this massive infusion uh, of sort of unnatural capital and money into the markets that now you have this thing where people may not have a regular job or not be getting the full income they want, but they have more disposable income than they have had normally. Also, their people have less costs now. There's less 
you know, less cars, less driving, uh, you know, uh, less extracurricular activities, less restaurants and less vacations, trips, trips. Yeah. So, so people have, you know, in this, you know, COVID pandemic, you know, uh, economic collapse, we'll have more in general, many people have more disposable income than ever. So with disposable income, what do people do with it? You know, we can't spend it on, people aren't spending it on trips and restaurants and bars, um, you know, so they have more money to invest now and they have to find places to invest. And certainly the stock market is one of those places. And it has become an, a market where it's easily accessible, right? Uh, 40, 50 years ago, we had to go through a broker if we were intelligent enough to go through a broker. Plus, there was no technology to make transactions almost instantaneous. Now we have, you know, direct trading accounts. We have trading at our fingertips. So I can sit here, chat with you. And I already put in three trades, by the way, uh, Bob. And I, I hope that all those three trades would just skyrocket. So, you know, with technology, it makes investing into the market so much easier. Yeah, so so I, I completely agree with you that the technology um, and not only technology but but internet and access to information. So so those go hand in hand. Now you have the the private, let's call it the retail investor, who has a small amount or a large amount, but has access to almost the the same level of information as. Uh, someone that's, uh, you know, a portfolio manager for a mutual fund or, or a hedge fund manager. And not quite, but certainly they can, if they know where to go, can access a lot of that information. So you have this relative leveling the playing field with such easy access to information and this easy access to technology. And then you have this, this idea that Oh, you know, I see, you know, Vu just invested in GameStop and wow, he made, he says that he made, you know, you know, he invested $5,000 and he's turned that into $25,000 in a couple of days, right? So when you see someone else, that happens to someone else, you say, oh, wow, can't I do that? Why can't I do that? So you have this euphoria that's going on now, getting back to what's caused the market to rise over this time, in addition to people's stimulus and more disposable income, I think you're also seeing a disconnect between sort of Wall Street, between you know corporate you know uh, corporate profits and and small businesses. So you have these large companies that some of which are doing very well in the uh, lockdown era. A lot of digital companies, a lot of Nasdaq companies, a lot of you know the Apples of the world, the other information technology companies of the world, Google's, the Amazons, you know the FedExes. All those companies, their profits are are better than they have been. So there has been, you know, some winners and some losers in the market. So it's uh, several factors, but the fact that's the what's going on now is partly due to that leveling of the playing field as well between your retail investor and your uh, mutual fund manager and uh, hedge fund manager. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think you mentioned a few things, right? The fact that, you know, retail investors like myself who know nothing about investing, I can very easily go on to some trading platform and put in $5,000 on GameStop. Uh, that did not exist many, many years ago. So you're, you're saying that, you know, retail investors can get very good information on, you know, 
internet Google finance. I think what, what that's the danger. The danger is that we think we have all the information and when we don't. Uh, so institutional investors have much more information than we do. And sometimes we do silly things that they don't do, but we don't know that. One of the, I mean, really the, the, the main concept that like we have now going on is this element of risk, right? So you have, you have company like, like GameStop and it's it, like, we don't stop to think about risk, right? So whether it's GameStop or AMC or BlackBerry or these other companies that have drastically increased in value, there's no inherent financial strength to these companies that, that merit their current valuations. So we have to understand this concept has happened many times before. There, you know, there's been these short squeezes, gamma squeezes. We don't have to get to the technicalities of that. But basically, these people that bet on the stock to go down, people bet on the stock to go up, and the people that bet on the stock to go down ended up having to buy shares to cover their positions. And that's what's happening now. But we have to understand that there will be winners and losers. These stocks will not stay at $300. They will eventually come down to what they are supposed to be at. And it's, it's, you know, when we talk about investments, this is not investing. Investing in these short-term swings is called speculation. You're, it's more like a casino. It's more like gambling. And this is, shouldn't be part of someone's long-term investment strategy, even though it's so tempting when, when Vu or someone else or, or someone my, or some colleague at work says they made a lot of money doing it. Our, our really, you know, the advice would be to resist that urge. Many, many people will lose a lot of money investing in GameStop at $300 when we know for a certainty that within six, 12, or maybe less than that, or maybe a month, six months, 12 months, the share price again will be, you know, down to the, you know, 20, 30, $40 range. Right. Uh, it's happened before with companies yep. like Volkswagen at, at one point was the highest valued company on the stock market. No company had greater value than Volkswagen. And that was related to, to short squeezes as well. I think that was back in the early 2000s. Uh, and then it came down two years later, it was 84% below that, that peak price. Yeah. So this has happened again, and this happened before, and this will happen again. So I don't wanna get too technical because you've used a lot of good technical terms that I think my audience will get lost in. But I think you bring in, you bring in a few good points. One, Investing is not speculating. Speculating is like going gambling. And what we're seeing in the market right now is a lot of speculators going gambling. And, and for a retail investor or for people who are saving for, retire, for retirement, we should not jump on the same bandwagon as these people, as these people because we're going to get really, really hurt. As you say, GameStop today, I think it's worth over 400 and then six months from now, it'll come back to its regular $20, right? And so what you're saying is these types of game being played on the market is not what we call investing. So, so tell us a little bit what a retail investor wanting to invest and save, what are the good best practices then? I mean, I think there's a, there's a few important practices. One is know what your risk tolerance is. Part of that is knowing how long a hold you're going to have uh, for, these, for the things you're purchasing. If you're not worried about this money and you're not going to touch it for another, you know, you're 30 years old, you're not going to touch it till you're 65, then that's one, that's, that's one paradigm, one mindset. 
But if you're 58 and going to retire in a few years, you're going to have a different paradigm and mindset and want to be a lot less risky because you have much less time to correct for dips in, in, your, in your portfolio. Knowing your time horizon, uh, understanding your risk tolerance. Uh, and then I think the key is diversification, right? So you can invest some of your money in the stock market, and I think it's a reasonable thing to do. Diversification among asset classes, like the stock market, like like uh, bonds and fixed income, real estate, you know, they call cryptocurrency another asset allocation thing that's risky, you know, uh, and there are others, private equity, cash, diversifying your asset allocation. And then within the stock market, diversing, when you're investing in the stock market, diversify within sectors of the stock market and companies within those sectors. So if you diversify, whether it's by having an index fund or by having a well-balanced portfolio of various stocks that are diversified, you're mitigating that sector risk. And that is a key part of investing. I think one of the key things to investing well in the stock market is avoiding a big loss. If you can avoid a big loss in the stock market, you'll generally do well over time. You uh, you agree with Warren Buffett. First rule of, of making money is don't lose money. And second rule is don't break rule number one, right? hundred uh, percent smart man, the Oracle of Omaha. So you've, you've given us a few best practices. One, know your risk tolerance Two, understand your time horizon. Three, diversify your portfolio. And when you said diversify, we're not just talking about diversification in the market. We're talking about different asset types. So you mentioned stocks, you mentioned bonds, you mentioned real estate, you mentioned private equity. By the way, we had a podcast dedicated to private equity, which is a non-correlated market. Non-correlated means not correlated to the up and downs of the market. And I'm surprised that you didn't mention insurance products, but I'll, I'll mention it here. It's another asset class. Okay. So we talked about diversification. We talked about the basics of financial literacy. Good points. So now as a retail investor or let's forget the word retail investor, right? It makes people scary and poo in their pants. Let's just say I'm a regular doc. I'm a regular nurse practitioner, PA, and I just want to make sure that I have enough for my retirement and I need to be doing some savings. So what would be best practices that you can share with us? I mean, if you're talking about investing in the stock market specifically? I'm talking about either investing or saving for the future or investing long-term. And you were talking about, you know, good company fundamentals. So if I take all that together and I say, I, I have a chunk of money that I'm putting away. So I'm putting 10, 15% away of my paycheck every month so that I can do something for it for the future. What, what are the best things, best practice I should do so that I secure my future? What would those be? I'm not going to pretend that I have the, the magic answer for everyone. Everyone has to get their own financial advice. In general, best practices, I would say, again, it goes back to diversification. So someone starting out, index funds are a wonderful way to diversify. Uh, understand that there will be ups and downs in the markets and you want to understand that you will have losses and, and you have to be able to know that that's a risky investment. The stock market inherently is risky. There are there are obviously, you mentioned some other ways to, to mitigate risk, insurance product and others, and those are definitely, those are definitely options. But I think, I think 
again, it comes back down to diversification and not chasing the latest trend. Um, you know, like this, this idea now, there's speculative mania in the market right now. It's an economist named Minsky that's, that talked about the four stages of speculative mania. And the four stages are displacement, like what's happened with the COVID pandemic and all the stimulus that's come to the market, which is unnatural, this amount of money that we have. Then there's a boom, the market boom that happened after that, like you mentioned, from March 2020 until recently, the markets you know, shot up. And then there's euphoria, which is what we're seeing right now. Euphoria, people think that, oh yeah, I'm just gonna take my mortgage, I'm gonna take the cash out of my mortgage, mortgage my house and put it all in GameStop, AMC and BlackBerry, and then I'll be able to retire, right? So that's possible, but it's certainly very likely that, that you'll have to give your house back to the bank as well by, by doing that. That's the third, third stage is euphoria. And of course the fourth stage in speculative mania that we're seeing now is crash. These, these high-flying companies, will it's guaranteed that they'll crash at some point. No one knows when, whether it's you know, on Monday or whether it's in a month or six months, no one knows, but it's guaranteed that they will crash and come back to normal valuations. So that is guaranteed. So, so people will lose money in these speculative manias. And I think, again, like Warren Buffett said, it's about, it's about avoiding big losses. And the way to do that is have um, a diversified portfolio that you stick to, you understand your principles, speak to a financial advisor, and invest in a safe way without chasing rabbits down holes. The, the current scenario of the you know, hubrisness and inflation that we're seeing in the market is not natural, right? We are going through a pandemic there's a lot of people dying, a lot of people losing their jobs, a lot of industries have been decimated, but yet we see the market going up and up. And part of that is due to quantitative easing. I'm not going to explain it here. We're going to have an, a podcast on quantitative easing and how it impacts what we're currently doing. But I want to bring this back to, I'm invested in the market right now, right? I'm, I'm VU. I've got a few index funds, I've got a few ETFs, I've been invested in mutual funds. And what you just told me about the crash, I just got scared. So as a retail investor, or as a person who is saving some money for the future, what are the concerns that I should have now? And what should I do about it? I mean, the, the market is a boom bust cycle. So at some point, the market will pull back, it's important to have enough of a cash enough of a position in cash or something that's very liquid that will not be affected by by the whims of the market so so whether that's keeping you know 10% 20% 30% you know some some number or it could be more than that if you feel convinced that the crash is imminent um, it's not a bad idea to always have a nice cushion of cash in your portfolio that you can then later reinvest you know perhaps index, uh, ETFs, or whatever it is you're choosing, you know, whatever safe investments you're choosing at, at, a, at a lower rate. You know, it's all about, you know, uh, buying low, selling high, and you want to do that over time. So um, that's why another strategy a lot of people employ is dollar cost averaging. So, so putting money in the market a certain amount every month or every two weeks or whatever your, your pay schedule is so that 
the whims of the market don't affect you all that much because if it goes down, you're going to be buying someone it's lower. And if it goes up, you'll be buying and, and you know, it'll average out over time. So dollar cost average is an important principle, but having some cash available, especially rebalancing, you know, every so often so that you're not 99% in equities when the market goes up, that probably means the time to rebalance, sell some of your equities and uh, rebalance to more cash and fixed income at some points. Okay. Very good points. I'll add maybe two more. I think one of the principles is a FOMO, right? Uh, fear of missing out. And so right now we see the market just going up and up and up. And like you say, oh my God, it's so tempting to go in now. Whereas, you know, going through a dollar cost average, going in regularly, going in when it's low, going in when it's high so that you average it out. So I think that makes sense. But going in now because my neighbor just made 500% on GameStop, uh, I'm very tempted to go in now. But is that is that deviant from my regular strategy of dollar cost averaging? And if it is, I probably shouldn't do it, right? It's it's one of those things that's very tempting, uh, but what I could probably end up really being really hurt. The other thing that I wanted to add as well is, you know, we're talking about the crash. It's going to come. We don't know when it's going to come, but it's going to come. So what should I do at time of crash? And I think most people will do is they'll panic. And so at time of crash or on the way down, they start selling. And I think a, a good thing to do is, keep your nerves in check because when that type comes, it is not to, it is not time to sell, right? If we're buying at an all time high now and it crashes and we're panicking and we're selling at an all time low, then we're doing the contrary of what Warren Buffett is telling us not to do. And so being, being able to control your emotions and controlling your nerves when the crash happens is very, very important. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, emotional investing is, is, basically the, the biggest mistake that most people make. I mean, like exactly like you said, when the market's up and everyone's making money, it's like we can do no wrong. That's a time to plow everything in when in fact, that's probably not the best time to plow things in. And when the market's gone down by 20, 30%, people are saying, oh, wow, I, I, can't, I can't take this. I've lost 30% on my portfolio. I got to get out. I got to get out, you know? Um, and you're right. The, the, the emotional investing is probably the very biggest mistake that investors make. Um, and if we could fix that and not really look at the noise and stick to your long-term game plan with diversification, rebalancing, dollar cost averaging, uh, you're going to do much better. But you're right. Now, when a crash is probably more likely or a correction, whatever you want to call it, is more likely than, than usual, you want to be careful to have enough cash position, liquid position now. Looking at what we see now, uh, looking at the state of the market, what are good strategies that you've used? What works for me is that, you know, I think that I think dollar cost averaging works, but I think I think also like if we ex see these wide swings, the market did crash in, in March of 2020. Um, you know, when it was down 20, 30%, it was down 20%, I was buying. When it was down 30%, I, I kept buying. When it was down 35%, I kept buying. And then I kept buying after that as well. So these are the times to be buying. So you want to have cash on hand to be able to invest for when there is that correction that comes. It may feel like it's never going to end. And that's a hard thing to stomach when you see you bought something when the market's down 10% 
and then it goes down another 10%, another 10%. Um, and, that's, and that's a hard thing. And the timing is impossible to get right. Whatever your strategy is, you can perhaps invest some of your cash over time in a meaningful way. Invest in aliquots as the market is going down and on its way up. Try to take the emotion out of it and try to try to be sane and, and not chase these uh, these crazy speculative manias. I uh, I want to echo one thing: is uh, you mentioned the word chasing, right? That's what we tend to do when we let our emotions run wild. But the contrary of chasing is having a steady pace, right? So that's what you did. The market went down. You still had your plan. You stuck to your plan, uh, and you were buying as it was going down, and you were buying as it was going up, and you had that plan even before the market crashed, and you had that plan even as the market was going up, but you stuck to your plan. So that I think that's that's the word that I want to use is that once you've stuck to a strategy, uh, continue that strategy and forget the noise that's going around you, because the noise that's going around you, if you listen to it and you follow those emotions, you're going to get really hurt, whether it's on the way up or whether it's on the way down. You're right. But I was only, you're, you're absolutely right. I agree with you hundred percent. I was only able to do that because I had, I was, I had enough cash on hand. So I had some, I had enough cash that was, that was always kept for a rainy day so that when, when something like this happens, you can profit from it. Well, since you have all that cash, I'm expecting a lobster dinner from you then, Bob. Uh, we, can, we can go out sometimes because definitely uh, you've given me lots of sage advice over the years, and I appreciate it. And I continue to appreciate that. So I'm always happy to keep chatting with you. I'm the one benefiting from it, and simply because you have more white hair than I do. So you're a little bit more sage than I am. Final, final question for you then, uh, Bob. If you had to leave my audience with one burning advice that you have to get off your chest right now, what would that advice be in this, in this current times of uncertainty? Right now, I'd say buy Tesla, buy AMC, buy GameStop. Oh, my right God. <laughs> I'm just you know kidding, the market's bro. closed right now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's hard to pin it down to one thing, but um, I guess just take the emotions out of it. Take the emotions out of it, always have a cushion and just stick to your plan, okay? Uh, slow and steady wins the race. It may not be sexy, but, but I think it's, it's a way to sleep better at night and uh, that's worth something. Those are wise words and I will end the discussion here because you always have to end on a positive and, and wise word. So thank you very much, Bob. I hope you had fun chatting. And uh, I hope you'll come back on the show at some point and maybe uh, shower us more with some of your of those wisdom. Woo, it's always, always great to chat with you. Thanks for giving the opportunity and uh, have a great weekend. Well, there you have it. That was a very good discussion with Bob. But here's what I've learned from this scenario with GameStop and our discussion with Bob. One, the market is not rational. Two, Going into the market can sometimes be like going to the casino. But three, which is more important, is that the, ma the market can be manipulated. It could be manipulated from the outside, and it could be manipulated from the inside. And so as investors, you have to be really careful. And if you cannot stomach this type of volatility, and maybe don't want to stomach these types of manipulations, you may have to think about other strategies to save for the future. If you want to reach out to me, you can go on to my new website, 
financialhealthdoc.com. Again, it is financialhealthdoc.com. Or email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. One more time, it is hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice. 